This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And I know that by the episode title, you are probably curious about this whole episode. Can methane from a dairy farm actually power a house? Can it power multiple houses? Can it power a whole town? Um, well, actually, surprising fact, it can. So on today's show, I am chatting with Philip Watts from Full Circle Dairy in Madison County, Florida. So that family farm is installing, or rather they have installed, um, a methane digester. And so methane is just one of those gases that comes from cows they release it both from their feces as well as from burps. So something that a lot of dairy farms are starting to do, they are capturing all the waste and then they are processing it. And so that methane can then go to power homes. So instead of going up to the atmosphere, we can basically recycle it and use it as another source of energy, which is wild and it blows my mind. So Philip and I are going to talk about the whole idea behind that, why they're doing that at Full Circle Dairy. Um, also, we'll talk all things dairy, like especially Florida dairy farming, um, how active they are with other dairy farmers throughout the country and even the state, kind of the state of Florida dairy as well. And also what it's like being a fifth generation dairy farmer. Um, that's a lot of pressure that Philip has on him and his family. I mean, I think that's just a really cool position to be in. You know, you're the fifth generation and now they're taking this really big step to incorporate this awesome new technology onto the farm. So, you know, maybe in 20, 30 years, this will be the norm and communities with a bunch of dairies can be getting their power from a dairy farm. I think that's awesome. I think that'll be really cool to see where this goes. So I will have some, all the links below will be in the description of this episode, as well as I'll try to find a couple of articles detailing out methane emissions, as well as how these digesters work so thanks so much for listening and i really hope you enjoy this episode with philip from full circle dairy 
All right. Well, well, Philip, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. So you are with Full Circle Dairy in Madison County, correct? That is right. We're here in good Madison County, uh, Lee, Florida. So I assume you know the saps and clay sap up in Madison County? Yes, I do. Um, just in, in passing through the community, I uh, didn't have the opportunity you know, to be an FFA with Clay, but I, he's quite the leader throughout the community. Yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. I was on the state officer team the year before him, and every time I drove through Madison County, I was like, home of Clay Sapp. So it, it's, a, it's a big county. It's like very agriculture-based. Is that right? It is. I mean, it's the background of, of our county. It's the infrastructure of the county. And that goes from years back, you know, it was very large in tobacco several years ago, um, still has a very strong footprint in road crops. And we are one of two dairies that are in the county. Really? One to two. So has it always been one to two? I mean, have they kind of dwindled in years past or what's up with that? Since... 2006, you know, we started dairy farming here in Madison County. Um, we were the only dairy in Madison really? County. And then a couple years after that, uh, another dairy came in, and they're actually uh, neighbors to us here. And so it's great to have another dairy as neighbors. You can't ask for much better neighbors than that, you know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So they came in a few years after us, and we're, we're the, the two that are here throughout the county. So how much collaboration is there going on between you two? And are, are y'all trying to keep secrets from one another? Are you very open with collaborating on what's working best for the cows? Um, so they're a little bit, they're a different style than what we are. So they are an organic farm um, and just a little bit different management style than what we have. Of course, we have, we, we have no secrets. Um, in this industry, I think it takes a, we're, we're so small as it is with throughout the state, throughout the U.S. and and the footprint that we make up in the dairy industry that we need to bounce ideas off of each other. We need to have feedback from other dairymen um, it, at least a couple times a year. Uh, my father and I and our herd manager, Eric, will travel to different dairies, you know, in the southeast and maybe see things that they're doing and we have other dairymen that come here and see things that we're doing. That way they can pick up on some of our practices. We can pick up on some of their practices, but no, there, there aren't any secrets. We try to try to work with each other and, and move forward. That's awesome. So what, what are, I, I know like when it comes to like Minnesota, Wisconsin, those are like some really high top producing dairy States. Like, but in the Southeast, what would you say are kind of ranking them? Like what States produce the most and what States produce the least? Um, I would say Florida has been decreasing on dairy production. Now, Georgia has increased in production. Uh, so those are two that I'm going to have, you know, direct relationship with. I believe South Carolina has decreased in some of their dairy production. And as far as that, I, I can't speak for many of the other states. I know there's some strong dairy pockets in uh, in Tennessee, but for as far as those states, I I, I can't really speak on on how their growth lies. And I know Georgia has had a had a strong increase in growth. 
So I know that, I mean, across the U.S., really, like the number of dairies have been going down. I mean, what would you associate associate that to? Is it kind of the, I guess, the alternative milk movement or what would you kind of associate the decrease to? Part of it is it's going to come to labor and it's mm-hmm. going to come to, to work. Um, it, it's challenges that we face. And as things get more challenging and more difficult, it's easier for for people to exit. It's generational as well. Maybe the next generation wasn't there to, to take over the farm. Um, there are several contributing factors. I mean, high input cost. We are one of the few commodities that we we pay for delivery of everything that comes in and you know we pay for delivery of things that are shipped out. So a lot of that is um, can all be contributing factors of why there's been a decrease in dairy. Now, I think it's been a decrease in dairies, but in maybe the number of head of animals have decreased, but the pounds of milk, I don't believe have increased or have decreased. I believe pounds of milk have stayed relatively the same or possibly even increased. Now, I. I don't have facts to back that up, but that is my knowledge with the fact of now herds are averaging, you know, 80, 90, 100 pounds of milk, where several years ago, herds were averaging 60 pounds of milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually interviewed a guy. He's a professor at the University of Minnesota a couple of months ago, and he mentioned that same thing, that our herd size have been going down across the U.S. for years, but the amount of dairy they're producing has been steadily growing. And so it's interesting that because of, you know, like selective breeding and genetics and stuff like that, the number of total cows is going down, but our milk production is going up. So it might look like it's a bad thing, but it's, you know, we're still producing as much milk as we were, if not more, like you were saying. Well, I think it's a, if in the big picture things, it's a great thing because yeah. it proves our sustainability story of where we are, you know, it's taking, you know, less of a footprint to produce more. And, you know, we're, we're getting more out of these animals with, you know, maybe feeding them less feed or it's requiring a, a less feed. And it's just that overall footprint and that sustainability of getting more and putting in less is, is important. That's true. I guess kind of the whole slogan that you hear a lot in agriculture, it's doing more with less. So we have more milk with less cows. We have more crops with less land. So, you know, I feel like that should be a slogan. I feel like it is a slogan on every farm, like, you know, like doing more with less. That's right. (laughs) So full circle dairy, give us the whole spiel on the family farm. Like when did you guys start it and how has it been going ever since? So we can talk about just the footprint here at Full Circle, and I can give you that background, or we can start to way back of how I got my start as a fifth generation dairy farmer. So where would you like to start? Oh, let's let's do the latter. Let's do how, how you started as a fifth generation dairy farmer. Okay. So my great, great grandfather um, immigrated to the United States from Switzerland. And he was a cheesemaker in Switzerland, and he immigrated to the U.S., and he started um, continuing milking cows here in the U.S. and making cheese. And he made a living milking cows. My great-grandfather made a living milking cows. My grandfather 
um, who was my dad's dad. He uh, was a feed salesman, and he transitioned into where he started milking cows, and that's whenever they moved down to Central Florida. Mm. Okay, and um, their move was from New York to Central Florida, and then from there, my dad took over the operation, and that's whenever we purchased land in Madison County. Um, that was around 2004. So we moved from Central Florida to Madison County, Florida. And that's when, whenever we started building Full Circle Dairy and creating that that brand for ourselves. That's awesome. I've, that's such a cool family story. Fifth generation farmer. My first thought was when you said like your great, great grandpa from Switzerland, I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Because you think of cows, you think of cheese when it comes to Switzerland. And so that's awesome that for five generations, you guys have been continuing that. I mean, do you feel a lot of pressure there? Like, I mean, it's not just a family business. It's clearly like a family way of life. Yes, there is pressure there. And the pressure that I feel is making sure that I I give my son the opportunity that if he wants to be a dairy farmer, that he has that opportunity and that opportunity is here. Mm-hmm. I had the choice. I had the opportunity that if I wanted to come back to the family farm and work on the family farm, that I could do that. And so I want to be able to present him with the same opportunity and the same choice that if he wants to come back to the family farm, it is here for him to come back to. I like that, the idea of the choice, because I feel like you hear from it, whether it's in agriculture or not, like parents force something on their kids like whether it's a career or a hobby or something they force it on them and nine times out of ten the kid doesn't want to do it but if you give them that choice whether it's a family farm or whatever like nine times out of ten they're going to pick that they're going to pick the farm because you're allowing them to choose so it's not a lot of pressure there i think that's a really cool and that's a really healthy way of doing it i I would assume i hope so i we will we'll see how it turns out i'm going to do my part and try my best to make sure uh we're continuing to to make milk here at Full Circle Dairy. There you go. So when they moved from Central Florida to Madison, like, were, did y'all have any cows when they moved up here? Did you start from scratch? Like, what was that whole move like from Central Florida to North Florida? So this original footprint of the dairy, the first time we pulled on this piece of property, it was nothing but pine trees. <laughs> so it, it had no structure here, nothing. We The, the pines were cleared off. We pulled stumps, picked up sticks, cleared land, and started building this facility. And we had cows down in, in Central Florida, and the herd down there in Central Florida, we relocated the herd up to here and then started growing off the herd here. Hmm. Okay. So whenever you're building a herd, like what... What goes through that? I mean, are you trying to find like some foundational cows that have good genetics? Like, what are you trying to look for whenever you're building up a herd from scratch? You never stop building a herd. So let me let me say that you are always building a herd. Now you're building a herd inside of your herd, okay? And that's what we're doing now because you always want to improve on your genetics. You always want to be at the forefront of what is happening that way you don't get behind so you know we're using some of the best bulls that we can to breed to our cows we're going through and we're getting taking um 
genomic samples of our cows, which is basically scoring the animal and how she's going to perform throughout her lifetime. And then we make decisions on how we're going to go forward with that animal, whether we will continue for her offspring to come into the herd or maybe her offspring are going to go a different source and we're going to breed her to um, a beef breed and sell her calf at a premium while it's younger instead of keeping a Holstein heifer calf out of her. Mm, okay. Is a lot of it kind of trial by error? Like you're seeing what works, what doesn't, like maybe these cows work, these don't, like how much of it is like, you know, just kind of seeing what happens? A lot of it is relying on your sources around you. So it's going to be working with um, people that are in the animal genetic industry and getting feedback from them and then pairing them with the information that you have on your animals in the herd of the genomic samples that we, we take on our animals. That way we, we can match up a bull for mating that is most ideal to complement that cow. I gotcha. Okay. And do you reach out to people like your extension office, like experts at the University of Florida? Like who are you working with when you're trying to build up some data on what you might do? So, I mean, we have a, a, a slew of people that we work with. I mean, for one, we have a, a nutritionist that we work directly with. He comes on the farm once a week and him and I, dad eric we walk through all the barns together i mean we're we're walking through all the barns we're looking at all the details that we can and that's just like one of our resources that we use the mm -hmm. the next is going to be our um our reproduction reps that we have the people from the genetic side that are working for the semen companies that we use to to breed the cows um all of those are you gotta have all these pieces to come together that way we can start building what we have now gotcha gotcha yeah i feel like that's smart to have all those different resources in there i mean there is no farmer at least from what i know there's no farmer that just keeps everything in close to their chest doesn't reach out doesn't get help doesn't figure out stuff from the experts like i love how i love how collaborative the industry is i mean whether it's you guys or I don't know, a, a timber farm or something like everybody in the industry is just super, super collaborative. So that's good to see on you guys' end as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we work very closely with a local uh, peanut farm that mm. they grow several thousand acres of peanuts and corn and a little bit of cotton too throughout Madison County. So we work close with them on working with us on our crops and doing crop rotations with them and being able to purchase, you know, some of the corn from them that we can't grow here just because of the footprint that we need. But having that resource where, I mean, they are farmers, you know, like they're, they are row croppers. We are dairymen, like we milk cows. Mm -hmm. Now we have to have feed to feed those cows in order to milk those cows, but we're not necessarily farmers. So being able to have that close relationship with them helps us have focus directly here on being able to just focus on milking cows. Yeah. And I mean, doing stuff like that, I feel like makes your, your County Madison County, like very self-reliant. Like if you need feed, you can call those local farmers instead of trying to buy it from 
I don't know, somewhere else. And if you have astronomical feed costs, hopefully if you're buying from them locally, it's going to be a little bit cheaper. So that's awesome. You're able to support them. They can support you. And it's a very like symbiotic relationship. That's exactly correct. And I mean, I, I have a lot of focus on this and it, it just circles back around to, to being sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. that feed is coming from a source that is within 12 miles away from the farm here. You know, it's not coming from a source that is 60 miles away. So the cost of getting that feed to the farm is much less than what it would be if we're pulling from 60 miles away or, you know, 120 miles away in order to get feed to here. You know, we're able to keep that relationship with a close grower and have the cheapest feed to make the best efficiency here at the farm. Now, did you see any impacts during the whole pandemic where maybe stuff like this, relationships with local farmers for your feed, where they might have saved you like a lot? I mean, did you see any impacts from that? So in general, our ration that we feed the cow, so the ration is going to be all of our ingredients that we put together to make their feed for the cow. So it's going to be, you know, your your cornmeal, your soybean meal, your vitamins and minerals, and then your forages. And those forages are going to be made up of corn silage and ryegrass silage, um, maybe some Bermuda grass silage. But all those silages are going to be produced here on the farm and then some of that on the the peanut company's land as well. Um, And then those silages make up at least probably 60%, if not 70% of the ration that we feed the cows. Mm, okay. There are times that those, the quality of the silages, we can even increase that to where it makes up, you know, 75, 80%. I mean, a, a large portion of the feed that the cows are eating. So during those times of whenever, you know, there was scarcity throughout you know, the world, the U.S., and you were trying to be the most self-sufficient that you could be, being able to have the resource of that feed availability close by was definitely comforting. I mean, there were so much, like, supply chain issues going on, so it's good to hear that you guys, you know, you at least had some some good relationships, and you were also, like, growing a, a good portion of your, of your feed, so that's good to hear. Now, we did suffer on the other end from... Uh, trying to get other commodities in and Mm. logistical issues with trucking, getting like soybean meal and minerals and um, different ingredients like that. And then of course our end product as well, the product that was leaving the farm, we had, you know, issues where, where plants were, they, they did not have anywhere to go with milk. You know, the rest of the world kind of, kind of shut down or at least slowed down so much that, the milk that was being produced out of the processing plants, it did not have a home. Mm. You know, it, it did not have somewhere to go. So ultimately you had to, that, that came back here. Yeah. So in that instance, I mean, do you, do you just dump the milk? Like, what do you do in that instance? In that instance, it is, uh, you, you do have to dump the milk and you get, you know, we have a, a co-op that we sell our milk to, um, oh. Dairy Farmers of America is our co-op, and it was a little bit comforting in the fact that 
we were in a co-op, so it was it was shared. That blunt of having to dump milk was shared across the whole co-op. It wasn't something that we just had to absorb completely on our own. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, that's a very good advantage of co-ops. I mean, you're kind of sharing the burden as well as the success. I mean, when you when that happens, which is hopefully a lot more frequently than the burdens, but that's good to hear that you had that support system there as well. So, so moving on, I saw on you guys' website, y'all have a rotary dairy milker. Is that correct? We do. We have a, a rotary milking parlor. It is a GIA rotary. That is a 2004 model, so she is starting to show her age a little bit. <laughs> but um, we still try to keep up with her the best that we can because that is that is our lifeline here. I mean, that is like we treat our the rotary like it's a helicopter. Whenever it's down, you service it because you don't want it falling from the sky. <laughs> probably smart yeah that would not especially when you've got a lot of cows on there like that would be catastrophic <laughs> so so how all does that system work like the cows walk in there kind of rotates around the building like how all does the rotary system work yeah so you can think of like a the the carous wheel that you've probably seen at at fairs you know or a merry-go-round on a playground um the cows in a kind of single file line they're going to go on and they're going to enter onto their stall. As they go onto that stall, their um, collar that is going to be around their neck is going to be scanned. And then that's going to line up with the stall that that cow is in. That way we can accurately track how much milk that cow is currently producing during that milking. And if there are any deviations that are in that milk, we can act quickly and accordingly because if there's deviations, there's a drop in milk, there could be something going on with that cow. And mm -hmm. we can jump on it and we can see what's going on with her for the health of the cow and make sure that she can bounce back, that we can treat whatever illness she may have and come back into the herd. Um, but other than that, they're going to walk on in a single fashion and then they're going to just kind of ride around. I mean, they're you'll see them there. They'll be sitting there and you know we're we're going to come on we're going to sanitize them and then we're going to wipe that sanitizer clean and then we're going to hook up our milker and then at that point it's just kind of they're just hanging out and you'll see them in there chewing their cud and they'll make their way around on the on the rotary and then exit off once they get to the exit side that's not bad. So it's it, it seems like it's easier on the cows. And it's also, is it easier on the laborers? Because they can just stay in one spot and like put on the suction cups as the cows are going around. Is that right? That is correct. And so that's an important important detail about a rotary is the efficiency that we feel like it brings to our management style here at Full Circle. And we are milking on average 560 cows in one hour. Wow. Okay. Okay, and we're doing that with four people. Okay, there is one person that's bringing the cows from the barn to the rotary, and then there's another person that is wiping, and then another person that is hanging the machines, and then there is also a person who is just kind of roaming around, helping support wherever anybody needs it. Now, if we think back to our milking procedures, um, which are pre-dip, this is going to be your sanitizer. You're going to wipe clean. 
you're going to hang your milker, and you're going to post step. Okay, two of those, the pre-dip and the post-dip, we don't have anybody in those positions because in both of those positions, we have robots that are in place. Mm, okay. So that's how we're able to get away with milking 560 cows in one hour with four people. I got you. So the, the robot tech is is wild. Like I've seen, um, I mean, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's like a one a single milker where cows can go in and it has their feet in there and then the sensor comes out and it puts the um, the milkers on the cow and it's just like a single robot. And so it's so cool to see like all the different robotics that are involved in dairy production. Like you wouldn't think about it, but it's very labor intensive and robots are saving like a lot of jobs and a lot of manpower. So that's awesome. Without a doubt, the um, voluntary milking systems, those box milkers, like you mentioned, I feel like there is definitely a feature for them in the industry. And for those smaller farms too, right now that they want to back off a little bit and maybe not have quite as much of the labor focus, you know, that's a, that's a big advantage for them to be able to, to make that move that they can put in box milkers like that. Yeah, that's not bad. And also, before I forget, the speed of this rotary of this rotary parlor, it's not super fast. I mean, like it's not like the cows are going to sling off there. It's going pretty slow, right? Yeah, it's going slow. So like for it to make a full rotation, you know, you're looking at like, I don't know, five or six, six minutes, you know, so it, it's slow going around. It's um 72 stalls is what it is. So it's pretty slow pace. We we track everything by seconds per stall. Mm, okay. We track it and not, but it's easier to just bring that over to five to six minutes for a full rotation. I gotcha. And now, I mean, maybe you remember this, but whenever y'all first did the rotary parlor, were the cows kind of confused? Like, did it take them a while? Or even even now, I guess, like the first time a cow goes on it, like, does it take them a while to figure out how it works or what? It usually takes three milkings. Three milkings, okay. Yeah, that's what we say. And even, let's say, if we purchase animals and they come into the herd and they weren't on a rotary before, they're, I mean, they're just, they're, they're creatures of habit, for one. <laughs> yeah. And herd animals. So... It works best to put them in a group of animals that already are used to going on to the rotary. And they're going to follow that animal and kind of see what other animals are doing and then work off of them as well. But, yes, it is a challenge whenever you get new animals. And whenever we started up milking, all of those cows had never seen a rotary before. <laughs> there, were, there were challenges there. I bet, they, I bet they're like, what the heck is this thing? like?" And then they get on there, they're going around like, oh, this is a carnival ride. Okay, this is fun. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, I, I've heard stories where, you know, like cows are, it's their first time on a rotary and then they just stop. But of course, you've got a stubborn cow that's not going to move but it's huge, so it's really hard to push, and it slows up everything, so it's it's a struggle to be sure. That's right. That is, <laughs> that is definitely accurate. So that's a really cool example of technology and dairy that you know a lot of people don't realize. What are some other really cool examples of technology going on in the dairy industry? Um, just our, here on our farm, some of the, the technology that we have implemented um, – our feed system that we use. I mean, that is a huge piece of technology of where I can work with our nutritionist to formulate rations that I enter in my computer or even off of my phone 
and then I send those out to where they go to our mixer wagons that we have and they go directly to a tablet in the mixer wagon where it's displayed on a screen outside of the wagon. So as they're loading the wagon, they know exactly how much ingredient to put in for the herd that they're feeding. And then that changes every day. You know, it's going to change. Not two days are the same with ingredients that are going in there. That's really cool. I haven't heard about that before. I mean, that's really cool. You can kind of just kind of monitor that and see what's going on. We can. Um, Some of the other things we have is our barns. You kind of say we're trying to make them smart barns. Um, And these are the barns, the freestyle barns where where the cows house, where they live. Um, In these barns, we set them up on a PLC system so that whenever the cows exit out the barn, the person that's taken them out the barn pushes a button and that shuts down all the sprinklers that are in the barn for cow because at that time we don't need to we don't need to be running water you know we can conserve that water so we shut that the sprinklers down and then we'll start working in our system of cleaning the barn and after so many minutes in the the floor will automatically start flushing with recycled water to clean the floor and then after so long the cows come back into the barn the sprinklers will turn back on and everything goes back to normal Mm, okay I've seen stuff like that before with the sprinkler systems. I mean, you've got to keep the cows cool. Like a, hap- a, a hot, miserable cow is not going to produce. So, and obviously in Florida, it gets super duper hot. So you got to keep them cool. That's right. So we strive for cow comfort and cow comfort is going to come from clean sand, sprinklers and fans. I mean, those are some of the, the three main things that we're going to need. And you know, none of those are going to be related to making sure she just has plenty of feed, but we're going to make sure this sprinklers are running. We're going to make sure this fans are running and the sprinklers work inter- intermittently to where they work in different zones throughout the barn because you want the evaporative cooling off the cows is what's going to help cool the cows. So mm. we're going to soak them down at the sprinklers and the sprinklers are going to shut off and those fans are just continuing to run. And as those fans run, it's evaporating some of the water off the cows and helping cool that body temperature of the cows down. Okay, gotcha. Now, I mean, I, I imagine, you know, the week, the one week in Florida where it gets cold, you're not having to run these fans at all? No, no. And they're set up on thermostats automatically as well as the sprinklers are that are tied into the PLC system to where if it's below, you know, 60 degrees, we aren't turning, the, the fans aren't coming on. And then once we reach 70 degrees, the sprinklers are going to kick on. And then once we reach 90 degrees, the sprinklers actually go to a different setting to where they run a little bit more frequently and where they're not quite as intermittent and making sure that they're cooling the cows really good. I got you. So what do you do in those instances where it is really, really cold? Like maybe it's around 30 degrees. Do you have to worry about keeping the cows warm? What do you do there? No, we don't have to worry about too much of the cows. Um, the barns themselves usually run 15 to 20 degrees cooler in the summer and 15 to 20 degrees warmer in the winter. So the cows, you know, the large cows, they're, they're, they're fine. You know, it's our focus then goes over to where our calves are at. Mm. And we're going to take that barn where the baby calves are and we have curtains that go across the back of it to kind of block the wind 
and we'll switch from a sand bedding to a straw bedding in there. And then we even have jackets that we put on the calves. And it's just like they're a little, little jacket with a, a zipper along the bottom. And, you know, they're ready to go then. Yeah, I've seen those like viral videos of calves and jackets, and they're so cute. I mean, they've just got a little jacket. They're like, yeah, I'm toasty warm. <laughs> and they are. They'll just cuddle up, and then you'll see them all running around the pen like like crazy. I can imagine. So uh, another piece of technology that I want to ask you about. Um, so when it comes to dairy farming, a lot of people know about methane, methane problems and stuff like that. So what are you guys doing to kind of combat methane production with dairy farming? So we are currently in the process of installing a methane digester. We broke ground with the company um, earlier in the year where they're going to install a methane digester here on our farm. And they're going to take this product that is already extremely valuable to us, mm-hmm. the, the manure solids that our cows are producing, and where we take those manure solids and we take that organic water and we apply it to our fields as fertilizer. So... In the process of that, the methane digester is going to capture those organic solids and organic water, and it's going to stay stored in that that methane digester for a period of time mm-hmm. to where it's heated up to a certain temperature to where it starts releasing the methane out of those organic solids and organic water. That methane will then be captured and scrubbed and converted into RNG or renewable natural gas. Okay. And so what's the plan to incorporate that natural gas? Uh, the, uh, the natural gas RNG will be injected into a pipeline that is actually a mile from where the methane digester is at. Oh, okay, cool. So, I mean, do you know, like off the top of your head, like how much, I mean, RNG that'll be producing once it's up? Oh, I do have that number somewhere, and I probably shouldn't know it off the top of my head, but it is. I mean, that's fine if you can't think of it. I mean, like, do you think that you could potentially, like, run, like, a whole dairy or, like, a whole house? Like, or, like, yeah, Avery said she's going to find it, but, like, how much, like, how much stuff do you think that that RNG could run? I am very unfamiliar and new with the whole RNG thing. So it is, it's one of those things that really has perked our interest because of the ability and the diverse revenue stream that it can bring into our farm here. So I'm still learning it as well. I know it's measured in decatherms is one of the reasons, but I believe it's a hundred thousand decatherms is that we're going to produce. But to measure that and know like if that'll run 25 cars or if that'll run, you know, supply the, the natural gas supply for a hundred homes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of how that works. Um, I recently did an interview with the Florida natural gas association and um, mm-hmm. I believe they were going to work on some of those numbers and figure out where that kind of lands. That's cool. Do you know of any other dairies like around the country that have done stuff like this just to kind of see what happens? Yes, there are several dairies that have methane digesters. Um, and there are several dairies throughout our state of Florida that have methane digesters um, down through South Florida and some of our neighbors, even over at Alliance. 
Um, they have a methane digester that they've been running for, for several years. And I'm pretty sure they just did some upgrades to their system as well. That's crazy just how methane is going to be digested into natural gas. Um, so a lot of I don't you've probably heard about this. I heard years ago that they were developing backpacks for cows to capture methane from them. Have you heard about that? I can't say I'm familiar with the topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's fine. I don't you're, you're definitely not missing anything. I think it was in like the early stages of development. But um, so methane comes from obviously the, the, the waste from cows. But it also comes from their burps, right? Yes, they can. It can come from, from burps as well. But there's a topic there, you know, it's coming from the fertilizer that the cows produce, not necessarily their waste. I mean, that is a valued product here. And as long as several other dairies is that the organic soils and organic manure that the cows are producing, that is already a valuable resource to us as dairy farmers because that's helping us grow our crops that we have. So the methane digester is just a little stopping point in between. It's just being held up at a stoplight before it goes to its end prop, its end resource of going out on the fields as fertilizer. That's a really, really good point. I mean, it's already um, a great input, or I guess input, yeah, for you guys. I mean, because you can um, use it for your crops, but also it's a great, you know, it, it can right now develop into something that can impact consumers, whether it's natural gas or whatever that might be. I mean, that's a really, really good point that it's just kind of a stopping point where you're kind of taking advantage of it and also like seeing what else you can accomplish with it. I mean, that's cool. I mean, would you guys get any revenue from this if it was producing a lot? Like how would that work out? The methane digester, yes, we will see revenue from the methane digester. So it will be an alternative revenue source that, is something that will just go directly into our bottom line. I mean, mm. because we won't actually own the methane digester. A company will own this methane digester and they will pay us to hold our manure for a period of time to where, and for certain levels of gas that we'll produce and we'll be compensated from that as well. Yeah, that's a pretty good relationship. I mean, it seems like, do you think stuff like this will be kind of become the norm with dairy farms in the future? I think so. I mean, I think if it has the ability and it is economical, then I think it does have a place in the market and it will help other dairies diversify their income to where they're producing more than milk. I mean, they're producing renewable natural gas and you know, able to capture that revenue and diversify their income. Yeah. I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, maybe you've got natural gas at your house and there's a dairy next door and you're like, Hey, I'm cooking dinner. Thanks to the cows next door. Like, this is amazing. I mean, it's, it's very sustainable. I feel like it's, I mean, it's something that not all people are aware of that this is a very viable option for agriculture and really for energy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, use that, uh, that same gas to grow that steak. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You got the steak from the cow. You got the heat from the cow. That's not bad. That's pretty good. I guess it's kind of full circle, really. <laughs> it is all full circle. I mean, we were talking an extremely sustainable animal. Mm -hmm. And of course, before I forget it, full circle, hence full circle dairy. I mean, was that intentional there? That was intentional on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. 
I love it. So do you guys do, do y'all offer tours or anything over at the dairy where people can come in and see what you guys are doing? We do. So we offer, we do several tours throughout the year, um, mainly with school groups, uh, classes will come in and FFA groups have come in several times, 4-H groups, just people who are passionate to learn more about the industry and have the ability to see what we do here to and the hard work that goes into the product that they're able to get off the shelf. I bet that's super fun. I mean, do you, do you have any like funny stories that you have from those tours or just kind of like maybe aha moments from students where they're like, Oh, okay, I get it. Like this is where my milk from comes from. This is the whole process. Do you have any of those stories? Yeah. I mean, you always get the, the story of, you know, where, where are the brown cows? Like where, where are the cows that produce chocolate milk, you know? And I think it's really the aha moment of the students and the adults that leave here and realize, okay, this is what goes into my milk that I pick up off my off the grocery store shelf in the refrigerated case. Like this is the background of of what has gone into it, you know, the animals that it comes from, the feed that the animals have have ate to process and produce milk. I think that is the main aha moment is seeing their reaction and their just the wow factor they have of whenever they fill out that grocery cart and they're putting that gallon of milk in it. Yeah, they grab it and they're like, hey, like I know where this milk came from. Like I literally went to that farm and I know exactly how they made it. Um, so I, we, I, we might have mentioned this earlier. Uh, my wife and I, we did a farm tour at Sindel Farms in Mariana. And so my wife, Ali, she didn't grow up around agriculture. And so we went there. And so I got to live like vicariously through her and see her experience this all for the first time. She got to see cows get milked. She got to see a calf. She even got to see like literally a calf being born. And she was like, oh my God, like I get it. Like, this is so cool. I see how milk was being made. And then we went and saw them make ice cream. It was really cool. You see them make the connections. You see the aha moments. You're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I'm glad that they participated in this. Yeah, I think that is... That's the biggest relief for me and where, you know, I know that my time was, was value, you know, showing people what we do here because that doesn't necessarily pay the bills. You know, it is, it's the fact of, of converting feed to milk through cows and doing the best, that to the best of our abilities. But the educational side, that is just an added added benefit that we do to make sure that consumers know that they're getting a, a healthy, delicious and nutritious product from us. Now, what would you say to maybe some farmers out there that are a little bit reluctant to have to do farm tours and stuff like that? Because I, I feel like that number is dwindling. But I mean, what would you say for those farmers that are a little bit reluctant to have farm tours and have consumers come out and see what's going on? I would say build a group of people around you that always have your back that are that are going to stand up for you that are going to say you know if somebody tries to call you out on something you know you're you're there and you can say you know no this is this is how it is or this is why they do this you know somebody is going to help help explain and be able to just help navigate that because there's always that risk. I mean, there's always that risk that a tour, you know, could go in 
an opposite direction and not be helpful. But we have been fortunate and we have not had that issue. Now, we do always say that we try to be too ready here all the time. And that is just keeping up with the farm constantly. Um, I don't know. That, that is a risk, but I think the reward of people knowing and understanding what we do, seeing what we do, outweighs the risk that could come on from, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, I like that because, I mean, with social media, you never know what's going to happen. You can have, you know, something that's completely false go viral. And whenever you have those consumers that are your supporters, they can go up to bat with you. And I feel like that kind of covers your bases. Like you've got a lot of people defending you in the public space and that hopefully you don't ever need that. But if it does happen, like you have that there, which is obviously a good thing. Yeah. I mean, our, our milk checkoff group, Florida, Florida milk, Florida dairy farmers, they do a great job of supporting us throughout the state and making sure to troubleshoot and navigate those issues. And that may come up because, you know, ultimately they want us to stay here and, continue continue making milk and so their support during those times is is crucial as well and we are we're so thankful that they're here to support us yeah i love i love florida dairy because it seems like everybody knows everybody um because i mean it's not a super duper duper huge state when it comes to dairy but there's still a really good amount um and not a lot of people know that how just how diverse florida agriculture is i mean we grow pretty much everything here in florida i mean which is kind of cool besides well we don't really have bison, but kind of. I, I know in Tallahassee, there was one bison farm. Do you know of any others? I Probably, there's probably some hobby bison farms around. You know, I don't think there's probably many produce on mass numbers, but yeah. I'm sure there are some hobby ones around. So let's just say we produce some. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I, when we would drive from Bluntstown to Tallahassee, I grew up in Bluntstown, and every time we would go to Tallahassee, we would drive by on Highway 20, this random farm that had like three or four bison. I was like, bison here in florida like okay that's kind of cool but random yeah but yeah well philip this has been awesome man if people want to learn more about full circle dairy maybe they want to visit you guys maybe they want to support you and buy your milk where all can they go where all can they look for your products if they want to buy our milk go to the store and buy milk you know that uh buy the the red top and get that whole milk that has the best flavor that is out there and by that um our milk co-op is gonna the way they distribute milk is they're selling to different processors throughout throughout the state or the southeast that way whoever needs it they can send milk to them and it gets there um so just go out buy milk buy red top buy whole milk and go from there as far as getting in contact with us here at full circle dairy um you're welcome to we have a Facebook page. I know it's probably, it has not been very active, but there is some information on it. And there's also some contact information that can be found online for us as well. Well, perfect. Well, yeah, we'll link all that stuff below. And I really appreciate it, Philip. Great to chat with you. Um, we'll have to touch base sometime in the future just to kind of see how the, 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 the methane digester is going. I think that's going to be super cool and excited that you guys are doing that. That'll be super cool. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out. We're happy to be here. Thanks again for Philip for coming on the show. And thank you so much to you for listening. Wherever you're listening at, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Carbon TV, thank you so much. 
We really appreciate it. And of course, if you enjoyed it, consider sharing it with a friend or family member and even post about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you might be active on social media that helps us out a ton. And we can have more and more people learn more about where their food comes from and the awesome people behind it. That always really appreciate it um, anytime you share our stories. And of course, check out more of our content at thefarmtraveler.com. And we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Adios.